the number one <coughs> critique of Christianity from those that are outside of Christianity would probably be Christians are hypocrites. That they act one way at church, act one way at RUF, and they live a certain way outside of here. Or they're really somebody different. And so what Jesus does is he kind of takes that question, that, that issue head on. Are Christians really hypocrites? Well, let's see. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward." But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you will need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast... Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's word. Let me pray before we look at it together, okay? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we would ask that you would indeed meet with us, that you would guide us, O great Jehovah, into truth and into beauty and into that which is ultimately filling, ultimately satisfying for our souls. And so uh, only you can do that, and so we really do lean upon your help and upon your mercy desperately for you to do that. Would you speak to me and through me and despite me? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a culture, we are obsessed with talent shows. Have you noticed how many talent shows there are on TV right now? Let me. Here's a few: American Idol, The Voice, The Sing Off. Although I don't know if that's still around, but I used to like it. Dancing with the Stars, Project Runway. So you think you can dance? America's Next Top Model, America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, Canada's Got Talent, everybody's got talent. Even, I think even The Bachelor is a talent show of sorts. It's a round-robin marriage tournament that, you know, you perform and the winner at the end wins. 
But my question is this. I wonder why, the, why there's so many. Why are we so obsessed with talent shows? And why do those shows particularly just really resonate with our particular culture? Well, I, I want to suggest that maybe, maybe, I don't know, Maybe the reason why they're so popular, maybe the reason why we're just engorging ourselves on talent shows is that because that's kind of what life has become for us. Our own individual lives have become sort of micro talent shows. So think about it. Think about your schoolwork. Think about how you relate to your schoolwork. The decisions that you make with your schoolwork, with your extracurricular activities to pad your resume is so that a panel of judges down there on the road, you know, down the road, will look favorably upon you, they'll be impressed with your resume, and they'll hire you. It's a talent show. Think about uh, not just your schoolwork, but think about your social life. Uh, What you wear is determined by what is cool. What you listen to is largely determined by what is cool. Where you hang out and get coffee is largely determined by what is cool. And so, there's a new panel of judges, which is just your peers, And based off of your expectations of what will impress them, you wear a certain outfit, you look a certain way, you do a certain thing. It's kind of like, okay, if my friends think it'll be cool to wear flannel and skinny jeans, I I can do that. I will do that to impress this panel of judges. But think about also your spiritual life. If you're someone in here who considers yourself to be a Christian, there is a deep, intrinsic instinct to want to perform. To, to not let people see any bad attitude come out. To not let them see you slip. To not let them see you mess up. And so your, even your spiritual life can become a performance, a song and dance sort of talent show where you're trying to impress your friends, trying to impress God, trying to impress pastors or people in leadership or anything like that. So Jesus enters into this particular discussion and he says there is a radical difference between performance Christianity and authentic Christianity. Talent show Christianity and real, genuine, authentic Christianity. And the way that he gets at this is, as you can see as he begins this particular passage, he says, beware. First thing out of his mouth, beware. He is saying that living your life as a Christian has some intrinsic hazards to it. The moment you start living like a Christian... Jesus says you're, you're kind of walking a dangerous road because it is so easy to turn your faith into a talent show, to turn your faith into a performance. So really the breakdown that we're going to look at this passage is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. We're just going to look at what he means by hypocritical spirituality, fake, false, counterfeit, hypocritical spirituality, and then what is authentic spirituality. Okay? Two points. Easy cheesy. First thing, what is hypocritical spirituality? He gives us a few features, but notice he does use that word hypocrite. Verse 2, verse 5, verse 16. Now, in Jesus' day, the word hypocrite was a technical term that was applied to the Greek theater. It was, a, it was the word for actor. And actors at this particular time would not wear makeup and get in costumes. What they would do is they had actually external masks that they put on their face. And so Jesus is hijacking this theatrical term and he's applying it to our spiritual lives and saying it's very possible to appear one way and to be a different person in another way. To appear as one thing and to be radically something else altogether. And so he gives us three different examples of different religious practices. Giving, 
verse 2. Praying, verse 5. And then fasting, verse 16. You kind of see, if you have this little sheet, you can kind of see how I try to divide out these different chunks. And these three things are kind of representative for spirituality as a whole. Because giving is how you relate to other people. Praying is how you relate to God. And fasting is kind of how you relate to yourself. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, there are people that are externally good in all of these ways, but it's a costume. It's a mask that they wore. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Iron Man. You've, you've seen the, the movies Iron Man, The Avengers. Tony Stark is the character, the guy, the dude that puts on the Iron Man outfit. And Tony Stark, if you've seen the Iron Man movies, he is this narcissistic, uh, alcoholic, arrogant, uh, just jerk of a person. But then he puts on the Iron Man suit, which is, suit, which is all uh, shiny and clean, and he goes out and like, fights crime and like, saves the day. So here you have someone who's on the outside who looks very polished, clean, very admirable, and yet the person that he really is on the inside is like this total train wreck of a human being. Now, the reason why this is scary, at least for me, and when I hear this passage, I kind of shudder, is because that, 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 that is largely me. Iron Man, Tony Stark, hypocrite, that's largely me. But it was, it was certainly a lot more me when I was in college, when I was in your shoes. I was like the hyper, uber hypocrite. Again, what I mean by that is my, my life was clearly partitioned into these different compartments and, and nothing mixed. So, so I would go at RUF, I would go to RUF, and at RUF I'd be like the, I'd be the um, kind of goofy guy, silly guy, but also very spiritually serious as well. And then when I was hanging out with like my philosophy, like the guys in my philosophy classes, I'd like say, hey, let's go get cocktails and like have pretentious conversation about existentialism and deep things. <laughs> and then... Um, and then when I was with my girlfriend, I was another way altogether where I'd say, you know, let's, let's mess around but not tell anybody about it. And so my life was really like a, uh, the syrup and a waffle. It's like com- compartmentalized and, and all, each had their own little category. And it was not, there was no pancake. It was not, there was no integrity. It was all compartmentalized. Surprised y'all have never heard that before. But what I was doing, what I was doing and what hypocrites do is that they perform for different audiences. Here's an audience and here's a judge of, you know, here's a panel of judges and so I'll I'll perform to get the approval of that particular panel of judges. And over here there's a different set of expectations and so I'll perform in a different way to get this group of people to be impressed with me. Now my guess is I'm not the only hypocrite in the room. Maybe I am. If, if so, y'all can, we can have counseling with me afterward. But my guess is I'm not. And my guess is uh, you're very similar in the sense that when you're at RUF, you look one way. When you're in your bedroom, you look a different way. When you're in crossroads, you look one way. Uh, when you're with uh, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you look another way. When you're uh, at Bible study or community group or... Um, church, you look one way, and when you're hanging out with your work friends that aren't Christians, you look another way too. And what Jesus is doing is he is saying, he asks the question, what would drive somebody, what would motivate somebody to want to appear one way and to be a different way altogether? He actually tells you what drives that person. Look at verse 1. In order to be seen by them. 
Verse 2, that they may be praised by others. Verse 5, that they may be seen by others. Verse 6, that their fasting may be seen by others. So what do spiritual hypocrites, what are they after? Recognition. Applause. Approval. That's what spiritual hypocrites are, are, are all about. The motive is not, I want to know God. The motive is, I want to be seen as someone who knows God. You know what I'm saying? So the, so the motive is not, I actually want to be godly. The motive is, I want people to think that I'm godly. Now, here's how this works out practically in your life. Some of you want to be involved in RUF servant team or on a leadership team with a different ministry or a different church just so that you have the title, just so that you can tell other people you're in it, just so that other people will be impressed by the fact that you've got the name attached, you have the title attached to you. Another way that this way may work is that you just kind of accidentally let it slip into the conversation that you did something great. You know, like you read your Bible that morning, like the first time, like three months, but you just kind of accidentally slip it in there and make it seem like, oh, I just, I do this every day. Or another way that this happens, which is absolutely ridiculous, but happened to me when I was in high school, is that you get insecure that the person sitting next to you has a Bible that's all underlined and highlighted and all marked up. And your Bible's very fresh and clean and it's very crispy. And so you take it home and I'm just going to underline stuff and just... So that the next time somebody sits next to me, they think like, man, this dude like really reads the Bible. He underlines stuff. Or another way that this happens is that let's say you do actually want to read your Bible and you're trying to figure out where do I want to read it. And so you decide, I'm going to go to the coffee shop and read my Bible. There's nothing wrong with reading your Bible in the coffee shop. There is something wrong. If part of the reason why you want to read your Bible in the coffee shop is so that people accidentally just kind of bump into you and see you reading your Bible in the coffee shop. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is what hypocrites do, where they say, I'm going to kind of promote and broadcast my spiritual life so that people will notice me. And I'll be known as somebody who's spiritual, but not actually be somebody that's spiritual. Here's another way that this happens. Um, It's happened to me, where where you're, you're... Praising God, worshiping via singing. And you're into it, and you're closing your eyes, and you're raising your hands. And then all of a sudden, you kind of start thinking, I wonder what these people around me are thinking about me right now. I wonder if they're noticing me right now. And then you kind of get that little delicious sense of self-congratulations where you're like, they think this is pretty impressive. Even if it's in the back of your mind, I know you've thought this because I've thought this. You're doing it, and you're, you're, all you're thinking about is, I wonder what these people think about me right now. They must think I'm pretty special. Here's what Jesus is saying. Christian hypocrisy, hypocritical spirituality, it's, it's dominated by fear. The fear of being exposed. The fear of being found out. The fear of having your different compartmentalized groups actually coming together. And like exposing you as a sham. And on top of it being motivated and driven by fear, it's exhausting. Because you're constantly trying to size up what are people's expectations of me right now in this moment. And then how can I perform and jump on the, you know, jump through the hoops to get them to validate me and be impressed with me. It's exhausting. Because you're always having to manage other people's opinions of you and perceptions of you. And it's exhausting. 
All it is is, is behavioral management and, and management of your own reputation, where you hide all the things that are bad about you and you amplify all the things that are great about you. And some of you think that's all Christianity really is. That's been your experience with Christianity is let's do the song and dance and perform and have nobody know who you really are and it's exhausting and it's miserable and it's terrible. But that's not Christianity. The reason why some of you have walked away from Christianity is because that's what you think it is and it's not, thankfully. Jesus says that's, that's hypocrisy. It's a counterfeit version of what real Christianity is. And here's actually, I think, the scariest thing about this passage. If you look at verse 1, Jesus says that this type of person, the hypocrite, will have no reward from the Father in heaven. Now, we'll talk about what that means here in a second, but he at least says on the front end, they don't get any reward from God. And instead, he talks about the reward that they do get three different times, verse 2, verse 5, verse 16. They already get a reward. What is it? What's the reward he's talking about? The reward that they get is what they want. The praise from other people. In other words, Jesus says, you can be a hypocrite and you can do the song and dance and you can impress other people and they will be impressed with you and you'll get what you want. But the validation and the applause will end when you die. If you put that into the scope of eternity, that means that you get the praise and the applause and people are impressed with you for 50, 60, 70 years maybe. And then for the scope of eternity, you have the displeasure of God. That's scary. But that's what Jesus is saying. That's because he's saying this is not real, it's not legit. It's fake. It's hypocrisy. So, if that's what hypocritical spirituality is, let's look at the features of what real, authentic, genuine spirituality is. And I think he really, he kind of gives us three features here that we're just going to kind of tick through these one at a time. Here's the first thing. The first feature of authentic spirituality is righteous actions. Righteous actions. If you notice, with each of these little things, he begins each example, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Not if you give. If you pray. Jesus' expectation is that these external behaviors will exhibit themselves in the life of someone who really does follow Jesus. And here's what we learn. You can... You can have righteous actions and be fake, but you can't have no righteous actions and be real. You can have righteous actions, righteous behavior, and you can be a fake, you can be a phony. But you can't demonstrate no righteous actions and be real. Those righteous behaviors are the fruits of what happens when someone actually begins to follow Jesus. So then the question becomes, do you you see in your life a growing desire to want to be generous, to want to pray, to want to fast, to want to connect with God, to say no to certain things just so that you can connect with him. And so I think the question that you have to ask is this. The way that you have to frame the question is this. Do you want to be generous or do you just want to be known as somebody who's generous? Do you actually want to pray or do you just want to be known as being a prayer warrior? You know, do you really want to fast and connect with God personally, intimately? Or do you want to be the kind of person that other people look at you and say, that dude is on fire for Jesus. 
Do you want to be those things or do you want other people to think of you as those things? That's the question. But that actually kind of leads into the second feature of what authentic spirituality is. And I'm just going to call it gospel modesty. Righteous actions and gospel modesty. If you've noticed, three different times Jesus instructs us to do our acts of righteousness in modest, almost like secretive ways. So look at verse 3. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This means not only should you do religious spiritual stuff so that other people are impressed with you, you shouldn't even do spiritual stuff so that you are impressed with you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The the moment that you start doing something religious and spiritual and you kind of get that sense of self-congratulation, that sense of like, I really am awesome. You've perverted your spirituality in that moment. It becomes tainted because you in that moment are impressed with you and that's not the point. You know, when you think, okay, there's somebody uh, standing by themselves, and I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to them, and nobody else is talking to them, and aren't I a great person to reach out to this person? That little sense of self-congratulation is you letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Look at, the, uh, look at verse 6. Jesus says, when you pray, like, close a door and lock it. Like, do it in secret, do it in private. We'll talk more about prayer here in a couple of weeks. Look at verse uh, 17 and 18. He says, when you fast, don't walk around all sunken-faced and talk about how hungry you are. In other words, he's, you know, if you're fasting, like, don't tell people that you're fasting. Just be a normal person. Here's what gospel modesty means. It means you don't need other people to recognize the good things that you're doing. You don't need recognition. You don't need to be showy about your relationship with Jesus. You don't, you, don't, you don't have that deep need to constantly be noticed by other people. That's what gospel modesty is. The problem with gospel modesty with our day and age, I think, is becoming exponentially, increasingly more challenging. Because we live in a day and age where we broadcast everything that we do. Not just you, but everybody and their mother is doing this. I mean, think about the Facebook statuses that we put up. Just went to E! News. Just thought the world should know. <laughs> no, just got out of BioLab, by the way. You know. Or, you know, you think about, the, uh, think about what we tweet or about our Instagram pictures. I mean, we take pictures of our food and tell the world what we're eating. We're constantly broadcasting and documenting everything about our life. I do it, too. I'm not, this is not guilt fest. I do it, too. <laughs> I just think it is increasingly becoming harder to demonstrate gospel modesty because what it would look like is that we serve other people and then we refuse to tweet about it afterward. We actually connect with God through prayer or through reading the Bible and we refuse to just kind of casually let it slip into the conversation or, you know, Facebook status it. We refuse... To, to kind of grab at that recognition and that attention and, and to play to the panel of judges. We refuse to live that sort of talent show life. That's what gospel modesty really is. And we, we stop obnoxiously broadcasting our relationship with Jesus to the watching world. But let's look at the third thing. Third feature of authentic spirituality, righteous actions, gospel modesty. And here's the third thing. Family intimacy. Family intimacy. Really, the whole reason that hypocrites exist is that they don't know God as their father. Ten times 
in the passage that we just read, Jesus refers to God as Father. And, and, and the reward that he's talking about, when he keeps talking about that reward language, you'll get your reward, you'll get your reward in verse 1, 4, 6, and 18. The reward that he's talking about is the Father. The reward that you get when you practice an authentic, genuine gospel life is that you get the Father. He is the reward. Now, some of you know, at this day and age, children would refer to their father by this word, Abba. And Abba was a term that had intense, kind of family, intimate connotations to it. This is, this is like basically calling your dad Papa or Daddy or something like that. And what Jesus does here is he starts referring to God as Abba. God as father, which nobody had ever done before because God, I mean, that was seen as irreverent. It was seen as wrong. You don't, you don't talk to God like that. He's too godly. He's too majestic, too transcendent. And Jesus is going around calling him Papa. Now, the reason why he's doing that is because his relationship with God is unbelievably intense and intimate and familial. I mean, Jesus by nature is God's son. And God by nature is Jesus' father. Father, son from all eternity. So when Jesus is going around calling God father, 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 it blew everybody's categories because he always said it, except there was one time when Jesus did not refer to God as father. When he's on the cross, dying the death on the cross, he does not say, my father, my father. What does he say? He says, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? Why is he not calling God Father in that moment? Because in that moment, Jesus is bearing the weight of all of your hypocrisy and all of mine. He is bearing the penalty for all of our hypocrisy, and so he is being cast out of God's family. He is being cast out of the family so that you and I could be brought in. He is being kicked out so that you and I could be adopted. He's losing what is his by right, by nature, so that we could gain an adoption that would be ours by grace. So here's what happens. On the cross, well, when he, when he looks at these people and he says they have received their reward, they have received their reward, that, that was actually a, a little bit of a technical term that basically meant these hypocrites have been paid in full. That their bill is settled. You know, they'll, they'll get the praise from other people, but they'll get no more praise from anybody else. Their bill is settled. They'll get nothing more. They're paid in full. On the cross, he actually says something very similar. He says, it is finished. Which means the same thing. Paid in full. People that I'm dying for, people that connect to me by faith, their bill gets settled and they get nothing more because they get everything. He's kicked out so that you could be brought in. And here's what you have to keep in mind. On the cross, Jesus is dying for hypocrites. For hypocrites like you and for hypocrites like me. People like Matt Howell that maybe at RUF are all spiritual and mature, and here I am up front. But if you go home and you see me, you see an impatient, angry, aggravated monster with my family a lot of the time. And Jesus is saying, I paid for people like that. People like you. People that act one way at RUF and people act a different way somewhere else. Jesus is saying, look, what you have in me, what I'm offering, 
is for people like you. People that are broken, people that lie, people that perform, people that live this talent show life. And Jesus extends his grace to people like to you and to me and says, it is yours for the taking. If you'll just admit that you're a hypocrite, if you'll just admit that you need Jesus to transform you and liberate you from this hamster wheel, talent show performance life that we're all living, only he can liberate it from us. And the gospel is extended to people like you and to people like me. And when you get it, and when you see, when the banner over your life is paid in full, it is finished, I have everything in Jesus that I already need, here's what this does to you. You're free to stop performing. Because I don't need you to like me anymore. I don't need to impress you. I don't need to kind of wow the judges of my life. Because I already have what I need. I already have everything. So what, I, what it actually frees me to do is it frees me to stop performing. It frees me to not always be right. It frees me to lose. It frees me up to look stupid. It frees me up to be honest about my shortcomings and what I wrestle with and what I struggle with. Only the gospel will do that. Only the gospel will liberate you and free you from this hamster wheel, talent show performance life of slavery that we all want to live. The uh, last week, I'll end with this. Last week, I was at uh, Sweet Frog with my family. I've got a, um, my wife and two little kids and our little uh, girl, Zoe Kate. She's two and a half years old-ish. And she, um, we took her to Sweet Frog as a special treat because the day before she had gone swimming and she had faced her fears by putting her head underwater. So we promised her, if you just put your head underwater, we'll buy you ice cream. So we took her out to Sweet Frog, treated her as awesome. She was having fun, making a huge mess. And I, I had to leave early because I had to do something with RUF related. And um, so... As I'm leaving, they're still all kind of around the table at Sweet Frog. And I do what I always do, you know, saying goodbye to everybody. And I always lean down. I kiss Zoe Kate and tell her I love her. And normally, she just sort of um, ignores me, just kind of like looks at me and doesn't know how to comp- compute what just happened. Or, you know, she'll say bye, Daddy, or something like this. But last week, when I leaned down and I kiss her and, uh, you know, Zoe Kate, I love you. I'll see you later. She said, Daddy, I love you. I love you, Daddy. And in that moment, uh, you know, my heart just melted into a puddle. And uh, I, I literally, in that moment, I would have given her anything that she wanted. If she, uh, if, she, if she had just asked, I would have been like, of course you can have chocolate for dinner. Of course, anything. And, you know, there, there are times, there are times like that where that, you know, later that night, Catherine and I will be in bed talking right before we go to sleep, and we just talk about how much we love our kids, that it, it hurts sometimes. I don't know if you've ever loved somebody like that where you just, it just hurts to love them. In fact, one time, uh, I, should have cleared, I should have cleared this with my wife. I didn't ask her, but... She'll give me permission to tell the story. Um, at one point, at one, at one point uh, this was probably a few months ago, Catherine just started crying. She's like, I just love them so much. And just like this, like this inner loving pain of like, I just love them. It makes us cry. Anyway, I, I am a horrible father. I'm a horrible father compared to the way that God is father. And when you respond to God's love for you and say back to him, Daddy, I love you. Papa, I love you too. I think it melts his heart. 
And the reward that you get is more of him. More access to his intense, aggressive, crazy love for you. And when you start living in light of that, and living your life on the basis of that, and resting everything that you have on his love for you, don't you see that this is what frees you to not give a rip about what anybody else thinks about you? You stop having to perform. You stop the song and dance. You stop acting and jumping around like a monkey trying to impress people. And actually, when you're able to actually articulate, and the attitude of your heart is, the Father loves me because of Jesus. Jesus bought me my relationship with the Father, and therefore, I don't care what y'all think about me. That attitude is actually you becoming godly, not just appearing to be so. It frees you to get off the hamster wheel. It frees you from having to manage people's perceptions and opinions and expectations. It frees you to stop performing. And so really the invitation for you tonight is to go back to what the gospel is. That Jesus was kicked out of the family so that you could be brought in. And if you are in, if you claim to be someone who has identified with Jesus, has come to him by faith, hidden with him, responded to his grace and responded to his love, then live there. Live on the basis of that and stop caring about what other people think of you. Stop performing. Stop being a hypocrite. That's the invitation for you and for me. Let me pray. Father, would it be true of me and would it be true of the people in this room that we would be liberated from the the exhausting slavery of having to perform with our spiritual lives and free us by your grace and by your insanely intense love to remind us that we have all we need in Jesus. Paid in full, it is finished. Would we live there? And so that's our prayer for tonight. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.